welcome to the Decipher podcast. My guest today is Rick Alther from Eclipsium, who put out some new research this week on some really interesting uh, hardware firmware vulnerabilities and attacks that we're going to talk about. So Rick, thanks a lot for taking some time to talk today. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And uh, I was reading the, the research yesterday and the thing that struck me, it's very good research. I, I love this kind of like low level down in the weeds, kind of let's dig into like why things don't really work the way they're supposed to work uh, type research, not just, hey, we found this one bug, go patch it. Um, the thing that really struck me is two things. One is it's been five years since the equation group thing, which seems insane to me. I can't believe it. <laughs> I was working at Kaspersky <laughs> at the time that research came out. So like, I remember sitting in the audience at the conference in them, you know, going through all of that. Um, it seems very hard to believe that that was five years ago, but, you know, kind of related to that, that this is still such a widespread problem, the, this problem of unsigned firmware, which is kind of at the root of what you guys were, were talking about. Um, what do you what do you kind of attribute that to? Why is this still such a widespread problem? Really, it's a, a variety of factors. I mean, on one hand, you do see a lot of progress made in things like uh, EFI, Secure Boot, and, and kind of the handoff from your main processor firmware up to the operating system. Uh, that's been great. What we haven't seen so much is actually in the peripheral components in in systems. So each one of these uh, minor components, I guess minor is the wrong word, but it, you have a lot of different processors running in a system uh, that we don't usually think of as something that runs firmware. So your trackpad, your webcam, mm -hmm. your keyboard, your touchscreen, these all have processors that uh, are going to have some, some level of firmware attached to them. And these components, sure. when you have a, an integrated system like a laptop or a server, ultimately the end manufacturer, the brand name that you see on that device is sourcing those components through other companies called ODMs. And so these companies make that particular module and then they might sell it to multiple brands. So you might end up with the same webcam module being used across multiple laptop vendors. And so there ends up being this dynamic of the ODMs, the people who are actually creating these modules, and in in some cases the the processors that are used on them, don't have a very direct line of feedback from customers that this is an issue. So you have this, you know, multiple mm -hmm. levels removed in terms of exposure to the actual problem as it as it's experienced by the end user. Um, and so that's one of the reasons we did this research and, and pulled from so many different angles was we really wanted to highlight how so many different components across the entire product range that we think of as computing are all affected by this. That it's it's not one particular product or one particular brand or even one particular supplier. It's, it's a very widespread industry-wide issue where the message is making it from the, the purchasers of these machines to the the brand that's actually selling the machines and they're starting to do improvements but often they have to go work with their suppliers to actually cause uh, changes to produce a secure design in the hardware itself and that that is seen as a gap where the message is slowly making its way 
but it actually takes research like this to highlight that issue and to to create that pressure of this is still a problem and when you're making your purchasing decision as an end user it's hard to even un- hard to understand or or get a view of what components are even used in this what suppliers would i even talk to and and really you shouldn't even yeah. have to make that level of of interaction right you shouldn't have to go chase down every single supplier to know did they actually do their firmware security correctly that should be the brand's responsibility yeah but it's a it's a complicated story with so many different players it definitely is and and as you guys highlighted in the the research report there's a lot of dependencies that are involved in this too. So you you have, you know, maybe the laptop maker itself, the operating system maker, the chipset maker, um, all those kind of things interconnected. And each one might think that it's the other party's responsibility to check the verification on the firmware. And if nobody's checking it, you know, if everybody thinks somebody else is checking it, it's like if you ask your kid, like, when are they going to be home? And you're like, oh, um, well, didn't you ask? No, I thought you asked. Like, you know, how how are you going to know? Right. And even when we talked with the brands, uh, you know, with the the end vendors, like in this case, HP and Lenovo, they would say, we recognize that this is a widespread issue. We know that this is something that needs improvement. But the difficulty is actually in having that conversation with the suppliers, getting them to understand that perspective and actually make changes and implement the best practices. In a lot of ways, it, it resembles the security culture that we had in you know operating systems and, and things. Um, these vendors are working with their suppliers and, and trying to build that culture. But just like we had when we started to develop you know security through the application and operating system layers, we have to really educate folks along the path of, of the individual suppliers of components about what what challenges do we even have? And like, what does a proper system design look like? In a lot of ways, the security industry and even some of the the CPU or the, not the CPU, but the, in some ways, even the brands, the, the end producers of the machines and the security industry already know what the correct solutions look like. We already know how to build signed firmware systems and do signature verification and build in hardware root of trust. But pushing that knowledge back into companies that haven't been on the front lines of that, they're thinking of it from a perspective of, I am being tasked with making the most inexpensive yet quality webcam that I possibly can so that I can sell this to all the different uh, laptop manufacturers and have that used in their product. The cost of the cost of introducing hardware security into that chipset is a, an unjustified cost to them, right? They haven't heard the message enough that this is actually a critical deal breaker for having their product used, that they just don't do it. And since nobody else does it, it creates this sort of stalemate situation. But ultimately, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that this, that cost versus, you know, security problem is something that's kind of plaguing a lot of the IoT and, you know, smart devices right now too. It's it's very much a similar situation, I think. Oh, very much so. Um it's it's one of those things where the customer has to the, the end customer has to be able to communicate what 
how they're making decisions and that security is actually an important feature to them. And in many ways, it becomes a, an economics problem. How does the end customer indicate that they are willing to spend a little bit more for a product with better mm -hmm. security? In the context of IoT, the problem becomes, well, it's the average consumer. And in practice, the average consumer may not actually have that concern. Now, why that's a whole separate area of research, at least in the space of laptops and servers, we have the opportunity that business and enterprise class purchasers do often know about the security aspects. They are concerned about that. And by including that into their rubric for deciding what their next tech refresh is going to be, that starts to put that impetus on you know, the, the PC manufacturers to actually go and put pressure on their suppliers to, to introduce the feature sets that we need. Yeah. But in the, that's a good point about the enterprise and the business you, uh, buyers, because they, they do know about these attacks, I think in a, for the most part, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people do because the, the word has been out, as you said, but it's also the case of, as you mentioned, what they can actually do about it. You know, if there's not an alternative to, uh, the devices or the components that are known to have these problems and, and the alternative is something you think might have the same problem, you know, you're kind of in a catch 22. Um, so I, I wanted to dig a little bit into the actual research itself, Rick. So let's talk about some of the vulnerabilities you guys found and the, the products that you looked at. Was there a specific reason why you picked the the products that you did, or was it just kind of luck of the draw? Let's let's grab what we have sitting around. A lot of it started from wanting a breadth of research, and partly that we do carry a, a pretty diverse set of hardware for our own testing. Uh, so we we looked at a lot of systems we had, a lot of systems that we knew we had information on, um, and some systems that we were just curious about, and all together, you know, we ended up with a these five different uh, vulnerabilities that we we discovered, there are certainly more, right? We probably haven't even found yeah. all of the ones that are in the systems that we looked at. We just, once we found these, we, re we realized it was broad enough that we had enough information to talk about and raise this as an issue. Okay. And so the vulnerabilities, essentially, you're looking at an attack scenario where an attacker can get access to a device in some way, whether it's, you know, through, a, you know, a phishing email, a drive-by download or something like that, where he or she has a foothold on this device and then can uh, have the ability to load unsigned or malicious malware or firmware, excuse me, onto the device. How difficult are these attack scenarios in, in the research that you guys did? So often these would be used in a case where you're as part of a larger attack scenario, right? Typically firmware level attacks are used as a way to gain persistence of attack or as a, a way to gain some level of privilege that you couldn't obtain otherwise, but it still fits into a, an overall higher level framework. This is something that we, uh, that Eclipsium has published um, an article a while back called anatomy of a firmware attack. It sort of walks through a couple of different, scenarios of how you might use firmware as a component of an attack chain where you've used some other way to gain access to user level privileges on a machine how does firmware aid you in in as an attacker into gaining either persistence or some additional functionality 
So that's, um, you know, we highlight a lot of different avenues that that can happen in that particular article. And, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the times it really is about persistence. I mean, when you think about the equation group scenario, it was all about getting embedded in the, the hard drive firmware such that when the OS got reinstalled or when you you started doing mitigation actions that you would reinfect the system. The same thing applies in all of these other firmware components. You can certainly use them as jumping off points for re-implanting, reinfecting systems. And the more firmware components that you attack and, and actually successfully compromise, the harder it is to actually mitigate a scenario. You know, if I look at my at a laptop, if I can take over the webcam and the trackpad, that's actually really complicated now to completely clean the system of infection. And I can use those as jumping off points to do more things. In terms of the actual, what can the attack do? Well, you can emulate the existing behavior of the device. So in the case of a trackpad, that might not seem that interesting. Well, I can move the mouse around, right? How useful is that? Well, but that means I can prevent the screensaver from ever going off. That means I can, you know, keep the machine awake and, and listening on the network instead of it going to sleep. And usually the way that these protocols are implemented, I can also do minor modifications that let that device pretend to be something else that would normally be attached in the same way. So if I can take that trackpad, mm-hmm. it very likely speaks a protocol that is a human interface device protocol. Well, that encompasses both pointing devices like mice and keypad and trackpads, but also things like keyboards. Well, now if my trackpad can become something that can control both the cursor and insert keystrokes, I've created a very, very, very powerful device that I can use for compromising a system. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also a, an attack where the user likely wouldn't have much way of telling that their device was compromised, right? That's right. Um, actually, detecting the this kind of compromise requires you to, first of all, know what's supposed to be there. You know, if you're right. lacking these signing mechanism or the signature verification mechanisms and these capabilities for having a hardware root of trust, if that doesn't exist, <clears throat> then effectively the device is just going to use whatever firmware it's provided. You since you have no concept of integrity or provenance of that, then we don't know. We don't know what that is. And in fact, when you get to a situation where I don't know what that firm, that the device that I'm speaking to, where its firmware came from, now I have the question of whatever questions I ask it, is it telling me the truth? Mm-hmm. And this is a, a really difficult problem to, to deal with. And so often when I'm teaching a training courses on thinking about firmware uh, firmware level attacks it, from a forensics ex- perspective, it's really about, I cannot trust anything the device tells me. The The best case for actually determining if I have an infection or not is to completely remove the, the flash storage device from the system and read it externally. And because I'm assuming that that flash device doesn't have a capability of being compromised, mm-hmm. only the, sto- the data that's stored in it can be compromised. Once I have that, though, I still need a, a golden image to reference it against. I need to know, is this actually something that the manufacturer produced? It turns out both of those problems are very difficult. Number one, getting a, a capture of the actual firmware image from the device 
is very, very in time and and physically intensive yeah. for a lot of cases. And second of all, if I go and look at the vendor for the firmware images for this, often they don't publish all of the firmware images that were ever shipped. So I might have a version that I just don't have a way of getting a golden reference image for. So it, even when you look past the building protection mechanisms, right? The looking from it, looking at it from a detecting compromise, it's it, that opens a whole nother set of problems of being able to actually track back where did this firmware image that I have come from, and is it actually genuine? If you don't have the signing primitives there's nothing to go by. Yeah, that's a really difficult problem to solve, as you mentioned. It's, I mean, even just for somebody that's ever tried to update the firmware on any of the devices that they own, you know, whether it's a router or, you know, anything, whatever it happens to be, it's really hard to just find the right one on a lot of manufacturers' websites, you know, let alone like a reference image. It's really difficult to get that stuff done. So if you're just a typical, you know, home user and not a, you know, a really technical person, that's a tough hur hurdle to get over, I think. For sure. And we have been asked a, a number of times, like, what can the, what can the end user do in about this type of attack? And most of the feedback is really, we'll take a lot of other protect, uh, follow the best practices for security in general. If yeah. you're not already doing the things of keeping your device up to date, and you know, checking for uh, malware on a regular basis, those are more common attack vectors today. When we're looking at firmware attacks, they're almost always being used in scenarios where there's a reason that you need that. You either need that persistence or you need some sort of privilege escalation that only a firmware attack can give you. And today, that there's a certain level of difficulty there that means that it's going to be targeted towards not your average average Joe. It's going to be targeted much more toward a business or a government or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, in Even in those situations, the what tooling is available on the market is is very... There are very few things available on the market. And of those that are available, you know, part of... Part of the reason that we're doing this research is that Eclipsium also makes a product in this space specifically for enterprises to be able to detect these types of, of implants and, and malicious behavior in firmware. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a highly valuable thing to be able to do, you know, because it's such a difficult problem. Um, what's the situation with update mechanisms for, for these bugs that you guys have found? I mean, you mentioned in the research that a, a couple of the manufacturers are working on updates and a couple of others were like, yeah, we don't really have a way to fix this right now. So there's a couple of different approaches for delivering mitigations for this. The, the best scenario um, for developing a, a solid platform is really to go and build a, a hardware root of trust. The difficulty with that is that it requires modifying the actual hardware, in which case you can't, deploy that as a firmware update. It's it's going to be introduced with the next generation of components from that supplier. Once I do that, great. We've got a, a very solid footing for the security model and a lot of other things start to fall into place. In terms of what can be done with the existing deployed hardware, it depends a little bit on the device and how the manufacturer 
of that device views the problem. If they've got enough extra space in their flash device, um, you know, for code storage, they could potentially go ahead and add a cryptographic check in uh, in the firmware update mechanism inside the, the firmware itself. So at least in that case, whatever update gets sent down to the device, it's at least validating that as it's writing it to the flash. And if it, yeah, you know, right. it's still not going to check the the firmware that gets loaded from that flash when it starts to execute. But at least we know that things put into it should be good. In some cases, you don't have that capability. You just don't have enough storage. I mean, these are very, very small processing devices. And so if you just don't have the ability to run crypto operations in that firmware, uh, or you don't have enough storage space to do that, then you really are stuck. There's just not a whole lot you can do. Yeah, that's it is kind of a thorny problem. There's so many different um, components to it, you know, <laughs> figuratively and literally, that <clears throat> there's not one uh, one party that's responsible for all of it, unfortunately. So, um, is this a, an avenue that you guys are going to keep researching, Rick? I mean, you you mentioned that obviously you have Eclipseum has a product that that helps address this problem. So, is this uh, something that you guys are going to continue researching? This is really Eclipsium's focus is on things below the operating system, looking at the firmware components in systems, both from you know, the EFI stack for the host processor, the BMCs, and, and these types of peripherals. So we'll definitely continue to work in this space. And the research team within Eclipsium is really, let's continue to move this forward in terms of raising awareness of this, that these components exist, that they run firmware. And that that firmware is just as much of the security model of the system as the operating system and application security is. So it's definitely an area that we'll continue to do work in. Um, I know that we already have ideas of where to go next. Um, and as we do new research and discover new things, we'll certainly be following you know, responsible disclosure and providing the vendors opportunities to fix these things or improve their next generation of products and coordinating uh, broader discussion of that with a, a public release of that information as well. This also feeds into our product development so that enterprises that are looking for a solution in this space also gain detection capabilities for the, th the types of things that we come up with in our research. Great. Cool. Well, I'll definitely keep an eye out for that stuff. I look forward to seeing uh, what else you guys come up with. And um, thanks again for, for joining me, Rick. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to, to dig through all this and explain the, the gory details of it all. You're quite welcome. All right. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.